Greetings, Quester. The Meddlesome Meeples present Tome Talk with Richard and Matt. Hello and welcome to this episode of Tome Talk, where Richard is going to be talking about the book Homo Deus uh, by Yuval Noah Harari. Yep, I've decided to talk a little bit about non-fiction. This is a first for us, isn't it? It is. Because so far we've talked about, in our previous Tome Talks, we've done science fiction, we've done historical fiction, Mm. horror, um, we've done fantasy. This is the very first grown-up, mature (laughs) conversation we've had on this show. Well, yeah, it was was about time, really, wasn't it? Um, um, I have been quite into reading non-fiction in the last few years. And one book that I really did enjoy was Sapiens, also by Yuval Noah Harari. And a lot of people might be aware of this. This was quite famous when it was out. And um, basically, it is a history book. Mm -hmm. And rather than being kind of a history of the world as such, it's more of a history of humans. So it's it's called A, a Brief History of Humankind. Mm. And basically, it kind of goes through kind of what we are as From as more people. of an anthropology. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. But going right from, basically from the agricultural revolution um, up until modern day. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it's really fascinating to get an insight into what we are from a scientific point of view mm-hmm. and I've heard from some people it can be quite emotional to read because they just realise that they just love being humans. <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite nice really. But um, yeah, you learn quite a lot about, about humankind in that book, particularly the fact that we are hunter-gatherers basically mm-hmm. and although we live very differently now, a lot of the way that we, we still think is in a very hunter-gatherer way because that's what our brains um, are meant to be or meant to do so like we like to explore we like to experience new things and we have a tendency to binge as well so <laughs> I mean that's very hunter-gatherer because mm. if you find um, like a tree full of fruit best thing is to eat as much as you can right yeah. <laughs> you don't know when you're going to find another one no. so um, even though we don't have to do that anymore um, we're still inclined to but we can kind of use a higher brain function to realize i'm not going to die if i don't eat this whole so box even of though we're, cakes, so. we're no longer in the bronze age and bronze is brilliant <laughs> yeah. we're still hunter gatherers yeah basically yeah. so um that's what kind of sapiens was basically and it ends with thinking a bit about the future because basically knowing where we came from it helps us to know a little bit about what we can expect in the future obviously it's very difficult mm. to know but it kind of went into the ideas that with things like genetic engineering and modern medicine and everything, the future could look very different from the past. We could kind of be coming into another kind of revolution. Well, when we consider so. the technological advances in the last hundred years alone, for That's example, it. Yeah. it would be a very different world. If, say you took somebody from 200 years ago, brought mm. them into into modern society, they yeah. wouldn't recognise most of what we no. have in no. our lives. Yeah, although we're very similar uh well physiolo- physiological psychologically no 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 think about the well. physics of our body really yeah the psychological the as well, I that we still have still yeah and morphologically they do yeah but the way we live is very different mm. that has a lot to do with not just technology but also culture it's like the technology becomes part of the culture mm. and uh, yeah changes the way we communicate and things well, like that language has changed to um, adapt to that the way yep. we communicate nowadays I mean if you go back uh, to as I say 50 years ago mm. um, the, the means that people would have to communicate with each other 
compared to nowadays, for example, yeah. the advent of modern uh, mobile phones, texting, email, yeah, things like that, instant messaging. The we have a very different life. Yeah, we do. So basically, we can kind of rely on it to carry on changing mm. quite fast since it already has been. And this is where it's exponential growth, isn't it? Because yeah. as technology advances that speeds up over time because you haven't got to work so much on the basics you can just mm. build on what's already been established yeah yeah it's collective intelligence mm. rather than individual now so yeah and this is where as i say homodeus comes in now i was kind of expecting it to start where sapiens left off and kind of just keep talking about the future but it actually he basically goes back through human history again but from a different point of view basically um, just filling in a few gaps from this mm. so we didn't have to just go on what like basically what happened in history it's basically what we learn about different um, ideologies mm. that that's the main thing really in this book so I th one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this is when we I normally talk about sci-fi like the future and so I'd, when I'm picking a non-fiction book, I want to, it to be one about mm. the future as well, uh, just to start off with anyway. Mm. I might talk about other ones um, in other tone talks. But um, so I just think that maybe if people enjoyed Sapiens, but they thought, well, I like history, but I'm not so interested in like speculations mm. about the future. I think they'd probably be pleasantly surprised by what this is, because it is more of the same. In Hermodeus. Yeah, in Hermodeus. Yeah, it kind of... Um, talks about, well, as I said, the different ideologies, and it's particularly talking about humanism, mm. because that's basically what the main ideology is these days. Um, well, technically, I mean, and he will tend to talk about it as being a religion, which some people may not like. But the way that Harari tends to talk about religion is being an ideology that will get a lot of people working together mm. all in one go. Um, and like abstract thought that can um, join people together so really in that way um, it's very similar to like a company like corporations and things like that there's a, a bit in Sapiens called the Legends of Peugeot which I think is quite a good bit it's talking about like what is a corporation actually like it's not the cars it's making it's not the paperwork it's not the building or the employees but like everyone's got an idea of what it is and it talks about humanism in a very similar way um, and then there being kind of different versions of that, mm. like liberalism and socialism, things like that. So, and then basically just speculating about how that could change with the advance in technology, mm. uh, like what is going to replace humanism, if anything will, um, particularly once machines get in on the act of predicting human behaviour, things like that. Um, so is he yeah. talking about humanism from an ideological point of view is he looking at it as a as another form of say we say democracy that kind of uh, belief yeah. system or more well, on a religious basis or well humanism as in um it being the thoughts and experiences of humans that are mm. important um and then the type of humanism that won out basically mm. um, over the 20th century was uh, liberal democracy mm. so it talks about that as being a type of humanism yeah. but it has kind of socialist elements mm. put into it um, I like the point that you read that um, obviously Karl Marx had a lot of uh, very good ideas and a lot that turned out to 
not go so well in practice. But the thing is, the West could read as well. They could read writings mm. of Marx and they could incorporate the good ideas that he had. And, well, uh, if you look yeah. at communism in its most basic form, mm. the idea of people working together, sharing Basically. resources is you know a positive thing but yeah. if if the last 50 years has taught us anything it's that in practice communism doesn't work out so well that's it yeah but it's good to be able to realize that mm. kind of thing and then just keep things like um like having some kind of sense of equality mm. of services mm. in the country and uh the industrialized industrialization and like electrifying mm. <laughs> electrifying just uh, running electricity to every town and things like that i mean these are kind of ideas that that kind of started there but um right i just want to talk about some of the the basic ideas um some of the things that make humans unique as opposed to animals mm. is our ability to think collectively and one of the ways that we've managed to do that is through uh, writing through be able to be able to store knowledge and pass it on to other generations make make our ideas immortal basically mm. in that way and this little section that I liked about um, about how much trust people will have in paper <laughs> paperwork basically and it sounds weird but this thing I was just talking to you about before this guy Aristides de Souza Mendes who I hadn't heard of before but mm. once I read what he did I thought well he deserves a bit more credit really so um, he was working in the Portuguese consulate in France mm-hmm. and this is during 1940 so obviously there's a lot of upheaval in France at the time they were, oh, yeah. they were getting uh, occupied and as the tanks were kind of rolling it does in tend to yeah it does <laughs> yeah um, obviously a lot of the the Jewish people in France wanted to leave wanted mm. to like go to south like Portugal and Spain but to get the visa you needed to get approval from the um, what was it the foreign office mm. that's it but obviously there wasn't really time for any of that so this guy uh, mendez he decided to just disregard that rule and basically throw away his career by just printing the visas anyway mm. and he stayed up for like 10 days with him and his team and um yeah just printed like thirty thousand visas until they collapsed with exhaustion <laughs> and um i mean he was recalled to the uh, the foreign office and then fired for it mm. But the the good point is that although they fired him for doing that, they did respect the visas that yeah. he printed, and these people did get saved. And I mean, that's just the... one man's job compared to yeah. thousands of lives. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you can appreciate what he did there, but it's just the fact that even though they didn't like what he did, they kind of respected the papers. The the other thing that's in here is um, talking about in China. This is also in 1940 when no, it's not. No. Um, this is during, uh, no, it's not, it's during Mao. Um, they actually uh, really exaggerated how much rice they were producing <laughs> like on the paper, like all the way up. Like the farmers would exaggerate it, then the Communists bureaucrats would Communists lying? Yeah. No. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. But, um, but like everybody just lying a little bit on mm. each on each bit of paperwork. And then it, it made them really think that they had way more rice than they actually did. So they thought, oh, I've got enough, we can sell it. So they like, just sold all this rice and they thought they'd eat this non-existent rice <laughs> that nobody had. And uh, so, yeah, on paper it looked like it was all working, but it really wasn't. And um, really, you can't imagine any other creatures having that kind of a problem or things happening. But um, just another thing about humanism here, it's talking about humanist politics, the voter knows best. 
humanist economics, the customer is always right. This is the kind of thing that um, that he's talking about with this. This and is how he's explaining the concept yeah, of humanism. Yeah, so, and basically, what the main, the main point ends up being is that at the moment, it's like nobody can tell you that you're, the way you feel about something is wrong. It's kind of what you feel yourself. You have the right to vote in whatever way you think. You have the right to buy the products that you think are best for you. And but in the future it could be once we understand a little bit more about how the brain works it is very possible that computers could start understanding us a little bit better than we understand ourselves because what we've found again and again is that what we think is happening in our brain isn't really what is actually happening like we have an well, experience our perception of something i mean you you, mm. you said he explains it by talking about you know no one can tell you that how you feel about something is wrong yeah that's you know, it, yeah i'm sure that you know we can all turn around to for example nazis and say you guys are wrong <laughs> you have yeah your yeah views. we can do yeah <laughs> well th- this is just yeah continue yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not it, it's not inherently correct i think to say that well no uh, it's oversimplified because yeah. i'm just trying to blow through a whole book in a few sentences okay. <laughs> but yeah i mean we've got through this much to get to this point yeah. but yeah um basically what is it just just little choices that you make in your daily life mm-hmm. like say like you, you do certain things because you think it's going to make you happy but then say an algorithm in google has been watching you <laughs> for your whole life and they've worked out that that thing doesn't actually make you happy it Hang makes on. you happy for a little no tiny bit no one's checking my google history are they? <laughs> definitely oh. <laughs> uh, no no it's just uh, <laughs> But then found out when you do something, uh, um, when you do a different thing, um, you actually remain happier for longer, your blood pressure is better, all, all things like that. And um, talked about it particularly in a, a medical sense. Mm. Like one of the points made is that sometimes Google can tell that there's an epidemic, particularly like a, a flu, like the flu epidemic is starting before the medical profession knows because, because like people are googling certain yeah. search terms on colds and things like that yeah that that's it sense. and you just kind of correlate that kind of data and, and he also made the point that if we allowed google to read our emails as well i mean i don't think he's really suggesting that as being a good thing but like you'd be able to read when you've maybe not googled symptoms but you've sent a message to work saying like oh i've got a headache but i'll be there anyway mm. And it can just kind of make a big database of these symptoms and kind of tell what's happening before it actually See, happens. All that that says to me that is going to happen is an extension of what's already happening, which is yeah. like the uh, Google search engines and other other search engines, and our ISPs too can track what we're looking at online yeah, that is it. to market products back to us. Yeah, particularly the the main one is about um, sometimes algorithms can know that a woman's pregnant before she knows. Because there's certain things that people will buy. <laughs> and um, there's been times because when... Because people, once they are, for example, pregnant, there is a like an inbuilt desire to, within your body. Uh, your body tells you, I need this. So you yeah. go and get that. Yeah, those though, kind of things. Even though you don't necessarily know why. And that's where some yeah. of these cravings come mm. during pregnancy, for example. Because a woman knows, I need this particular nutrient. Or yeah. a woman's body, rather, says, I need this particular nutrient. Mm. Um, so they'll have this desire for something that doesn't really you know it's not really explained that's why women eat i mean i'm talking as a man with two children uh Mm. women can eat really weird foods and and things like that during pregnancy for that reason yeah yeah that's it yeah and that's why i really like this point because 
you can see it already happening. Mm. That's why um, I was quite surprised that the book wasn't more kind of speculating about what kind of crazy things robots and things are going to do in the future. It's more like what is already happening and what is kind of inevitable from that um, because peop- algorithms are only really going to get better. Mm. And even if we don't do it here or in America, like in China, they'll get developed and things like that. So, Well, it's interesting um, that it's speculation based on existing patterns of behaviour. That's it, yeah, um, it's more near that's, future stuff. that's more believable than, I mean, if we can, you can go out and find tons of books predicting the future. Yeah, um, you can. But yeah. it's more interesting than the fact that it's based on an anthropological study of, of existing human behaviour and conditions. Yeah, yeah, and when, the thing I was trying to say about our brains before is that basically it is a collection of mm. algorithms and the way our memory works well, is... Yeah, behaviour is basically learned through life, isn't it, from it experiences is. and yeah. education. But we, what we remember is weird. It's like, um, it's like this peak end um, like method of remembering an experience. Mm. So like, while you're experiencing something, it could be absolutely terrible. But if it's not so bad towards the end, we're going to remember it as being not so bad um, because it's, it averages it out from the peak towards what it was like at the end. Yeah, and, and that's, that's something that we've, we, we all do, don't we? Because we do. it's like we, yeah. we, we tend to sometimes remember like um, the first place I lived when I moved out of mm. home. There were a lot of negatives. If I sit down and really study it, yeah, yeah I always remember it fondly. Yeah, that's there's the a lot of, thing. of bad things happen yeah. in that place. I see a I computer. Always remember it fondly. Yeah, a computer would remind you of all the bad times. <laughs> it would not forget or sugarcoat anything. And uh, yeah, that, that's the kind of that's the kind of thing that we're talking about here. There was also this other little anecdote mentioned in it about uh, Sally Adi, who was a journalist in, well, she is, I assume, a journalist for a New Scientist, mm-hmm. and she kind of tried out this battlefield helmet. That okay. um, it's not like. Because you think of electrodes going into your head, but this is kind of the electrodes are on the outside, mm. and then it kind of magnetically um, kind of suppresses certain parts of the brain. So she was on this sniper course mm. where these uh, targets kept coming up, like they were like targets that were like terrorists. So mm. it was it was a bit scary, and she was kind of shooting them, and she said like for every one she shot, like three more would turn up, and she mm. was kind of panicking, and she kept kind of jamming the rifle, things like that, and. Um, so she kind of felt really stressed by the end of that but then then they wired up this helmet and she said she felt a bit of a tingle and a strange metallic taste in her mouth but then when she tried it the next time she was just picking off the targets really coolly basically it just made her more able to concentrate just by shutting down certain parts of the brain mm-hmm. that were the, the ones that might over worry or, or overthink it or panic things like that and Yes, yeah, so as 20 of them ran at me brandishing their guns, I calmly line up my rifle, take a moment to breathe deeply and pick off the closest one before tra- tranquilly assessing my next target. In what seems like next to no time, I hear a voice call out, OK, that's it. So she like, just shot them all. And I thought this was really interesting because I know certain our brains work in modules. Mm. But it's very interesting that once we find what those modules do, I mean, we already know quite a lot about that, but being able to with something as non-invasive as a cap to wear because he get, then goes on to talk about like if you need to study or something like wear a cap that mm. would just make you not get distracted something like that I just think that that kind of thing it is very interesting it would be interesting if you could like wear a cap that would just allow you to focus more for example you're taking an exam you put something on like that that would stop you um, you know from being distracted so you can mm. focus on your exam or perhaps if you've been through something traumatic a traumatic experience you could yeah, wear a cap that would kind of help plot out that parts of your 
brain and yeah it would be interesting I could just I just know that based on human behavior it's not gonna be long before someone makes uh, you know helmets that will make us better killers <laughs> yeah well basically that I one was about that yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean humans have always been uh, good at finding be better and more brutal ways to slay other yeah. humans yeah they? that's it but that's that's one of the one of the things you can appreciate and it is brought out here is that with armies becoming more of an elite mm. they can also become smaller mm. and it's just it's nice to know that when there is a war they don't need thousands upon thousands of people for cannon fodder like they had to in centuries past um th yeah the section about war is pretty good in here because um it's talking about what it's become it's not much about the glory of the generals anymore mm. it's more we're interested in the experience of the individual soldier which are mm. horrific so mm. um that tends to be the way we view war these days but anyway that those are the main points i wanted to talk about in this obviously there are a lot more but i just wanted to really emphasize how well grounded this mm. is in reality because it can just sound like it's going to be crazy when you talk are about you it. recommending this definitely you're recommending homodeus and would you recommend sapiens first yeah, yeah. Or I think would you have to read them in order, or, or could you read e each one individually? I think you could read them individually, mm -hmm. actually. But I think this is going to have broader appeal, and it has. Um, so I, I would recommend reading Sapiens first, because Homodeus, although it goes through human history again, it doesn't really tread on its toes. Yeah. And you can just you can enjoy them both, and you do feel like you're learning more through the second mm -hmm. one. Like like we've said, it is very, um, it's done with a very broad view of human history there is it goes into details and anecdotes and then it will just blow through a few hundred years <laughs> like just just to kind of get things keep things moving and i think if people are really into history in some ways they might find it a little bit frustrating because it's a bit oversimplified mm. uh, compared to what they're used to but then when you're speaking but it's so not really broadly, about the history itself though it's the analysis of the behavior behind that history that's it yeah, yeah you do feel like you have a much better understanding of the world we live in, the species that we are, and everything like that once you've read it. And Well, I felt like that after Sapiens, and after Homodeus I felt conflicted because <laughs> I'm kind of looking forward to things in the future and also it can be a little bit worrying as well because, I mean, some things I haven't spoken about, things like AI, which obviously mm. it's going to be a real game changer. Mm. So, yeah, That's there's reality. A, yeah, a lot of interesting points in there. So I do rec recommend by Yuval Noah Harari, both Sapiens and Homodeus. And I'm going to also point out, so that I can prove conclusively that I can pronounce that name correctly, Richard is thoroughly recommending these books by Yuval Noah Harari. Nice. Well, <laughs> great. And not rehearsed at all. That's why we had to make this this long, so that Matt could practice. <laughs> you know what? I, what I was finding this tone talk quite particularly difficult... Mm. I've had an earworm in my head the whole time. An earworm? Yeah, you know that's you know the song Amadeus. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amadeus, Amadeus. <laughs> Farewell, Quester. To find out about other productions by the Middlesome Meeples, then check out our channel or rendezvous with us at middlesomemeeples.com. Until next time, Quester. Farewell and keep thine axe sharp.